Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yes, guys, welcome back to another episode of Teams Like Brighton. And don't worry, guys, after a little bit of a hiatus, we are back, baby. And what a way to go back on international break after a fantastic win. Mark White making his uh, second appearance on the podcast. What did you think about the Newcastle match? Yeah, thanks for having me back, Tom. I loved it. That that game was um, was really special for a lot of the fans, I'm sure. It looked like the Amex was absolutely bouncing. I wish I could have been there that that afternoon. But yeah, and the, the perfect response from the from the West Ham defeat as well. And I know we're going to talk about him a little bit later, but you know what a performance that was from from the star boy Evan Ferguson as well, really showing uh, how much depth there is, which we already knew in that in that forward line as well. But yeah, brilliant result. Yeah, absolutely. It was a it was a fantastic all round result. Eddie Howe's f- um, first three consecutive defeats since March April time when he actually joined the club. So they're looking like, on paper, they seem to be quite underwhelming. But I, I don't know about you, but I did feel like Newcastle, they, they're just trying to fine-tune their performance in a way. And I think if they get that, get themselves going with that midfield three, they're, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. I, yeah, completely agree. I think they've had, they've had this a couple of times when they've had to you know make changes, like you said as well. When he first came in, he had to kind of adjust a little bit. But also when they brought in the first load of transfers in the January, was it? I think they had, I mean, everyone spoke about that nice long run of form. They went on after that. But there was a little bedding in period um, when they brought in all those players, you know, Dan Byrne and, and Matt Target and, and Bruno came in as well, that window. But yeah, I, I think Eddie Howe is, is, is still, you know, perfectly capable. And I think they, someone said recently, didn't they? It was ridiculous that people are putting pressure on him. I think get, give him a chance to go in the Champions League. But Brighton might be too worried about that. I think they they, they did have another off day and, and they didn't look as kind of clean cut as, as we're used to seeing from them, especially defensively as well. I thought even though Evan Ferguson was able to score his goals and th- there was a tad of fortune about the third one, obviously, but, you know, I, I thought he, he had a lot of chances and so did a few Brighton forwards just to kind of do what they wanted to do in, in Newcastle's half at times, which, you know, isn't always the case under anyhow. So they've got a little bit of work to do to catch up after, um, a, yeah, a definite slow start. And what a complete performance as well from Ferguson. He just had acres of space and he really took those chances so, so well. Particularly his second goal was just a fantastic effort. Yeah, I loved seeing him drop back and, and then kind of fill in. He popped up right in the centre circle quite a few times, mm-hmm. didn't he? Just making tackles and, and bringing play in. And this is what I feel like Roberto De Zerbi has said a few times about him. And people wax lyrical about you know his prowess in the box and his finishing and his strength. But... I think one thing for Deserbi is how easily he buys into his tactics, what he does for the team, and that you know build-up play right in the middle. You know, he, he really starts plays and then finishes them off, which is, you know, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But all the comparisons that are being made, he's his own player, obviously, but he just looks even more of a, a special talent than than some would have thought before kickoff against Newcastle. I think. What one thing I found interesting in the Newcastle match, I don't know if you you saw it in in the highlights, Mark, but it was uh, Lewis Dunk's reading of the game and him dictating to the players where they needed to be and where they should be. There were times when he was shouting at Matoma, um, at Dingman when he came on, 
and even the midfield too, when they were saying, you need to drop back, you need to push up. And that kind of was emphasised when he had an interview, I believe it was with Harry Winter in the Times, when he was saying, Deserbi's just opened up my whole, a whole different angle on how I see football now. And they've rehearsed the tactics every single day to the point now where he feels confident, where he needs, where he knows where these players should be. And I feel like that's kind of upped Dunk's responsibilities on the pitch as well, in the fact that he doesn't have to be a leader to set himself up as a standard in defence, but he's also trying to be the leader where he's kind of like dictate, helping dictating the play too. And that's something that Deserby seems to have tried to instil in him, as well as him shouting about it on the touchlines as well. Yeah, you can see, I mean, anyone that's been to a Brighton game over the last, what, 10 years since Lewis Dunk's been in the team knows he was already a vocal leader anyway. But it, it is brilliant to see how much he has developed under Deserby, even just in the last, what, we're coming up to 12 months now, aren't we? So, and, and I think for him, obviously, I think I read that interview as well. And he said, I wish I had him earlier on in my career and that kind of thing. And, and you think with a player like Lewis Dunk, who is, you know, he's easy to write off, isn't he, for a, for a, play, for a club like Brighton who've spent even the last handful of years in the kind of bottom half of the Premier League. He's a player that you wouldn't, you could pass over quite easily, but it's so good to see him now, you know, in the England squad and, and you know, hopefully getting on, getting more caps under his name as well. But you've got to thank the Zerbi for that. And, and, you know, all praise to him because again, he was fantastic against Newcastle. And now, you know, he's just developed more and more into this kind of indisposable player. And for all the big transfer fees that get spent and, and, and sold around Brighton and all the players coming in, the exciting talent further up the pitch, you know, it's so difficult to sum up what Brighton are without Lewis Dunk, you know, and, and that's a testament to, to him, not just for what Deserby's done, but for what he's built in a whole career on the South Coast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and look, it, it, it doesn't pay me to say this, but I do love the fact that there's another Ferguson that is frustrating Newcastle United's fortunes at the moment. He's been so like in the 90s and the noughties and now coming into the 2020s and now Evan Ferguson's coming into it. It's such a shame that he's been ruled out of the international duty um, after the warm welcome he received, if you saw on Twitter. Um, I, ho I hope it's nothing too serious. I hope it's just a little niggle and he's back raring to go ahead of the trip to United. Uh, there's plenty going on there, but no doubt he'll be prioritising, getting ready for the AEK Athens match at the Amex, starting up our Europa League. Um, travels really which is just uh, it's still mental for me to say it Mark I don't know about you but us being in Europe is uh, is mental to consider <laughs> yeah I mean the, the last time we spoke was, was as the draw was happening so it was kind of our immediate reactions but now it's all sunk in you know I've seen it on Twitter and Facebook and stuff and just the reaction to the pieces we're putting out as well is is just how excited everyone is the the buy-in from the fans we've done this week, the Mirror have done these special pullouts for all the clubs that are in Europe. So I've been doing a lot of work for that. And that's come out this week. And we've already seen, you know, a really keen interest in everyone just wanting to digest as much content as they can about this European adventure. And yeah, so excited. I mean, like you said there earlier, I hope Evan Ferguson is fit and available for that. It was just a slight knee injury, wasn't it? I think that uh, was it a tackle with Bruno in, in the Newcastle game that kind of exasperated it a little bit. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed that, that he's back for that. But boy, that's going to be so, so exciting. It's something really special as well. We've not seen, I know we haven't obviously seen anything like this at the Amex, but you can almost, you can almost get a, t a taste, a little idea of how special it's going to be with the show that they like to put on down there as well. So I'm so excited for that first game. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing we were also talking about when we were discussing the draw live was also the fact that it was transfer deadline day as well. 
And I think now is probably the best time to actually sit down and really just talk about the Albion's transfer business in the in the market. What what's been good? What could be improved in the squad depth? That'll be definitely one factor we need to consider with European football at our disposal now. Um, just 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 throwing it out to you, Mark. What what, what are your thoughts on Albion's transfer business? You know, I've, I've written this a lot. It was, it was obviously expected about, you know, Caicedo and McAllister, which is kind of the headlines if you kind of branch over it. Because other than Ansu Fati, I wouldn't say that Brighton went out and, you know, James Milner's obviously a big name and such, but they didn't exactly go out and, and steal the window in, in, a, in a way that, you know, maybe some other clubs you, you would say they have. I think the, the business with Pedro getting that done early was fantastic, giving him the whole pre-season to get in. But I think the one thing is, is probably the amount of positions that Brighton have, have strengthened in the goalkeeper department's had a shake-up. You know, you've got Igor Judo, who I know we haven't seen yet, but is going to be an exciting player. And obviously he comes in with a bit of experience. Obviously it finished with a twist with Fatty in there, uh, which I'm so excited to, to, to see him come on the pitch. I think that's going to be a really fantastic addition. Um, and then he almost overshadowed Carlos Belaber a little bit, didn't he? Because Belaber came in maybe, what was it, the 29th, I think it was, or the 30th, yeah. and then and then Fatty was in a few days later. So uh, really excited to see both of those guys come in. I'm just thinking of who I've missed out there. Dahoud, I suppose, you know, we've seen a little bit of him already come in. And, and yeah, I think overall, I think it's a really good window, to be honest. I think, yeah, strengthening key areas, spent a bit of money, and uh, but haven't had to go kind of going chasing big fees for crazy players, but still added quality. And, and you've seen a few of them settle in immediately as well. So, yeah full confidence in, in what Brighton have done this summer. And fingers crossed that added depth comes to kind of fruition later on in the competitions and, and proves what a good summer it was. Yeah, definitely. Definitely agree with you, Mark. And j- just to go over the, the transfer signings that we've had, obviously, Jao Pedro was the first one to come in, um, around about £30 million club record sign in there. Uh, 21-year-old from Watford seems to be quite a big, big uh transfer fee but at the moment he seems to be justifying it very clearly then we've got 19 year old Carlos Belieber again he was our long-term targets to replace Moises Caicedo who obviously went to Chelsea and basically gave us a guaranteed revenue stream from Chelsea Football Club yet again um Bart Verbruggen uh, came in replacing Robert Sanchez in uh, goalkeepers and seems to be fighting for number one spot with Jason Steele. Uh, Igor Julio from Fiorentina, 25-year-old Brazilian centre-back, comes with rave reviews over in Italy. Uh, <clears throat> again, around about £15 million. Pounds, another big signing for us. Again, adding depth um, at the back there. Then we have uh, the 18, 18-year-old Romanian, um, Adrian Mazulu. Um, from Farrell over in Belgium, around about three million euros is the reported fee. Again, some someone to look keeping on in the future. And then we've got the free transfers, Mamadou Dahoud and James Milner. I mean, two midfielders there again who have done very well. And Milner, as we know, he could play more or less anywhere around the pitch. He's not really a central midfielder, he's basically Mr. Versatile at this point. So you could argue that he provides support in the fullbacks areas as well as in the midfield and it's, it's quite interesting how he's been interacting with Pascal Gross as well uh just since the season started and then of course the ridiculous transfer <clears throat> that I, I I I still don't understand this is a guy that's taken over Messi's number 10 shirt at Barcelona and that's Ansu Fati on loan uh again like the the jewel of La Mafia he was crowned at over at uh 
Barcelona, 20 years old, left winger, plays number 10 as well. Uh, an all-round talented individual, youngest player to score in the Champions League, make his debut in the Champions League, La Liga as well. I mean, the record speaks for himself, but we've got a talent there, haven't we? Yeah, I'm just thinking about those records, the amount of pieces I've done in the last week where you kind of, you, you want to put a bit of flavour in there, you know, youngest player to do this. And I was kind of looking at it, I was like, all right, youngest player to, what is it, score in El Clasico, youngest player in Champions League goal scoring history, youngest player, and it's it's the, the records speak for themselves, don't they? But yeah, I, I said this earlier, I'm so excited just to see where he fits in and what Deserby does with him. And I think, I know a lot of players, when they sign for any club, you know, they'll, they will give you a little bit of, you know, oh, I've always been watching this club and, you know, I, I love it here and that kind of stuff. But I, I do, I can see exactly why Fatty would have taken notice of Brighton. I think any player that, you know, from, from overseas, if they are looking at the Premier League, it's hard not to kind of take notice of what Roberto Deserby is doing there. Um, I feel like we are very insular in this country and probably don't realise how much of an influence some of these guys are having just on players, you know, that, that are around. I mean, we talk about Guardiola at Man City and the influence he's had, but but why not? Why not deserve it at Brighton? And Fatty said exactly that. He's, you know, he was sold by the project. He had a phone call with Roberto as well and seemed to get on really well with him, according to the interviews. And yeah, it's, it's a wonderful coup. The fact that, you know, there were offers and, and there were chances on the table for him to go to, Spurs and Chelsea as well, and, and, and he chose Brighton. is fantastic, and you know, with obviously the in, uh, the injury to to Julio and Ciso as well, it, it, it kind of fits in perfectly. And, and what a player that Brighton have managed to capture. And fingers crossed, this time in a I don't know six seven months, we'll both be sat here in a podcast saying, "Wow, I can't believe what what kind of performances this guy's put in," and can't believe we've got to send him back. But for the time being, it's 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 really hopeful. You mentioned there about. The Julio and Ciso injury there. Got got questions got to be asked here because obviously he was just sensational from the ground up, ground running in the start of the season. Do you think that this transfer was in reaction to and Ciso's injury, given the fact that he's out for I believe it's the rest of the year? Um, well, yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be quite a few months, isn't it? Yeah. For him. See, I think Brighton were obviously in the market for that foreplay, and you saw that with Kudus and trying to get that deal done. And I think that maybe made more of a sense in terms of positional familiarity with, with losing in C. So I think maybe that would be a little bit more similar. But I think once that deal didn't wasn't going to happen and Brighton knew that, they didn't want to go after a target that they didn't really want either. And I think the Fatty deal kind of came to them relatively late. That you know There was kind of murmurings about it earlier in the week, but it was quite a, a, a deal that happened late on in the in the window. And I think for, for Brighton's sense, maybe it's not, you know, near the top of the, the the list of reasons why they went for it. Because, you know, if you get the opportunity to sign anti Fatty on loan, you're, you're going to take it, especially if the finances make sense, which, you know, for Brighton, they do. Um, but I think it's just, an, I think it's just an added help because, you know, you lose that talent. And like you said, Julio and Ciso started the season so fantastically well. And it, that would, that could easily be an immediate loss, an immediate derailer to what you're trying to do. And I think Fatty just brings in that boost. And I think it's just, an, like I said, an added benefit of that transfer that you bring another forward player in with that kind of creative and technical ability and, and hopefully see him thrive. And who knows, when, when Enciso comes back and, and is back at full fitness, which, like you said, probably won't be until next year. Fingers crossed then we've got a, a player that can fit straight back in and, and who can work with the players who... We've already seen him smashing it within those first few games. Was it Luton and, and Wolves? So, yeah, I think it played a part, but maybe not that they didn't probably think, you know, and Ciso's out, we have to go and get this player, this player, this player, you know. Yeah, I, I, it, 
completely forgot about the whole thing with Mohamed Kudus. The, <laughs> the guy that seems to be teasing us a little bit, but he really wanted that transfer to West Ham, it seems. Yeah, he scored so, a lovely free kick last night for Ghana as well, which I saw West Ham fans waving about. But, you know, they've got they've already got free kick takers in their squad. They didn't need another one. I was going to say that it seems a bit of a redundant moment, really, because they, they've got James Ward-Prowse, who just loves to score against us. Uh, case in point from two weeks ago. Um, and I'm just going to just flip the table side. So we talked about the players coming in. Let's talk about the players going out. And obviously the two big ones we, we could talk about are Moises Caicedo and Alexis McAllister going to Chelsea and Liverpool respectively. 21, 24 years old. Got, we're, we're not even anywhere close to seeing their peak yet. But we've got close to about, according, according to uh, transfer marks, 100 and, 158 million euros coming into the club, which is sensational business when you consider how much we paid for them in comparison just a little over three in the last three to five years um i don't know about you but i think that's just testament to what what tony bloom's done in terms of what he's done with his uh mathematical geniuses and bringing in the right people yeah i completely agree i'm use this point as well because i saw a few people online recently saying about especially with the Caicedo deal and saying how Brighton, you know, they were ruining the transfer market by holding out and, and holding players back from completing moves. And and I saw it, it done, you know, it done quite a lot of traction. I thought it couldn't be more wrong, to be honest. I think Brighton are doing, you know, what any club in their situation would do and taking advantage of a transfer market, which is hugely inflated, which we all know, but it's not going down. There's no, there's, you know, once the once the balloon gets goes up, it's, it's not going to shrink at all. These transfer fees that we're seeing, you know, it started, well, it's, you know, it started years ago, but this summer specifically, Declan Rice went for over 100 million before Moises Caicedo did. And you would say Moises Caicedo is still a more attractive purchase in the long term than, than Declan Rice is. So I didn't agree when I saw people saying, you know, criticising bids for 70 80 whatever 90 million it was completely their prerogative to what they sold that and you know Moises Caicedo signed a contract in January as we well know so I'm sure Brighton wouldn't have any issue whatsoever in keeping him at the club and seeing if he sold again the following year in which his value probably would have gone up even more so just a little gripe there because it's frustrating when you see a club work so hard and, and, and operate at such a high level and negotiate these fees which are you know life-changing for a lot of clubs of this size and it was the same when Aston Villa got to sold, sold Grealish for 100 million. And it's the same for West Ham selling Declan Rice for 100 million. You know, to, to clubs of this size in the Premier League, who are, you know, you know, monstrosity sized clubs that are run by absolute, you know, countries in some fact. It's, I'm glad to see clubs like Brighton be able to do that. And so, you know, all fairness to Tony Bloom, I think he's, we already know he's a fantastic negotiator, but he's done it again this summer and Brighton are all the better for it, which is, the most impressive thing, I think, is the way they bounce back from it every single time. And you know, we can't, you know, can't say it yet, but I think they've done it fantastically well again with with the money that they've taken in for two players who you're right weren't even in their prime yet. So to get those fees for them is is brilliant. Yeah, absolutely spot on. And it is it is also important to point out that Chelsea could have had Caicedo for seventy five million pounds, but they were holding out for sixty. And then once Declan Rice came, went to Arsenal for 100 million, the market set the bar, and Brighton were like, "Well, Declan Rice made De- Declan Rice was made silly by Caicedo twice last season, yeah. so we're going to go ahead and say no, it's 100 million at least now." And then 
they were holding out for 75 and then 80. Then Liverpool come in and then all of a sudden Chelsea go and say, oh yeah, we'll give you 115 million pounds out and a sell-on clause as well, which I, I, I think is just absolutely bonkers. But hey ho, <laughs> we're, we're more than happy for that to happen when if and when he goes to Real Madrid in the next three to five years, replacing Camavinga, maybe even Modric or Cruz, because that midfield is ageing and no doubt Caicedo will be number one on their list. Uh, again, McAllister is a great, I think McAllister is a great transfer as well. It it made sense for him to go to Liverpool. They they needed that whole revamp and they, need, they lacked that number eight really last season. I think more so than the number six. And I think Liverpool probably wasted a bit of time to get an approach Caicedo and then losing out on Love You as well. I think that's just kind of like a dent in them. Obviously, Sanchez gone to back gone to Chelsea, reunited with Ben Roberts. Zakiri, uh, the last one to leave the Albion, uh, gone gone to a gang. I kind of feel sorry for him, really. He was hoping to develop, but I think the way the the trajectory that the club has gone in the last couple of years has made it impossible for some of these players to come in, um, to develop. Aaron Connolly, Redo Kadra, um, Mikhail Karbovnik, even though that the left-back then declared himself a central midfielder last season, which made things a thousand times worse for him. Uh, and again, what one player I do feel sorry for is where Taylor Richards. I just feel like if he was able to develop and we were around about the same levels we were two years ago, we'll be talking about a player, a talented midfielder that is probably going to be in the Premier League, but he just never had that opportunity in my head. I think, um, I think you're, you're spot on just to cut in there. I think you're spot on on saying, you know, it, it's been, you couldn't have predicted where Brighton were now, you know, a couple of seasons ago. And I, I know you can kind of, pro Brighton probably do plan for all eventualities, but this probably wasn't one of them to see them playing in Europe. And, and you're completely right with some of those players that you listed there. I think Zakiri is one of them, which is a shame. He didn't really get his chance, did he, to, to kind of go in the first team. I know he had a couple of appearances, but yeah, Taylor Ritz as well, it's a couple of them. Um, it is a bit of a shame, but this is, you know, for how many success stories there are, there have to be a few of these. Um, and it doesn't seem like many of the players have gone with, you know, with a bad taste in their mouth either. So um, I think you're completely right there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, <clears throat> I, I, I don't, I don't want to put a negative spin on it, but I do feel like that there is an area that we we're lacking in the transfer market, and I feel like we had a good opportunity to recruit in the fullback areas. Tarek Lamptey is our only out-and-out right-back. Purvis is stupid and is our only out-and-out left-back. Yes, we've got Joel Veltman, who's done a wonderful job for us at right-back. And yes, we also have James Milner in, who can also assist in that in, in those two areas as well. But I do feel that with the idea that we could possibly have a cup run, if we, if we beat Chelsea in the EFL Cup, we do not have a break, a week-to-week -week break until the new year which is bonkers with the addition of Europa League in there as well. And obviously bar international breaks, but considering the fact we had 20 players going in on international duty, it's fair to say that most of these players won't have six or seven days break, but they're going to get used to two or three at most. I do feel that, I feel if we get a Stupinen out, particularly someone who is so instrumental and so significant to the team, if he goes, then all of a sudden that left-back area becomes a very, very easy weak spot that's going to be highlighted by every single scout and coach coming coming up against us. If that ever happens, touch wood, it doesn't. 
but I just feel that we're 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 flying a bit too close to the sun with the lack of fullback signings. What do you think? Yeah, no, I completely agree. This is one thing I um, I remember speaking to my predecessor Richie about uh, over the summer when we were chatting about what kind of Brighton needed to do in the window, and he would always say, you know, need that strength at, at fullbacks. It's not quite there. I think, I mean, James Milner is, you know, you you. He's fantastic in the, you know, how experienced he is and, and all of this kind of stuff. And and yeah, he can play, but he is, what is he, 37, 38? 37. 37. Um, and, and he's already, you know, we're, we're straight away into the season. He's already played four games, you know, he's going to be needed a lot. And if he's the one that you're kind of using to kind of fill, plug gaps in at 37 years old, and I know his experience, I know he's done it at Liverpool and regularly played Maybe not so much in the last few years. He is he does know what it takes to kind of play every three days or so. But yeah, it is, it is a worry if you do get a, a key injury in one of those positions. I think even a centre back as well, to be honest with you. What if you got Lewis Dunk, Webster, Van Heck, and Igor? Is that in terms of senior centre backs that, that, that are on the books? You know, it only takes a couple of injuries. You're right, and and in midfield it does look a little bit well, certainly lighter, much more lighter than it does in midfield and and, and up front as well. So. Yeah, I see where you're coming from there. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it, and also as well, I think so, some people will mention in the comments as well, Pascal Gross has done a decent job at right back as well. But I just feel then there just needs to be that extra out and out full back. If he, if he could do both both sides, then I think that'd be a superb signing. But I just feel we, 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 are, we are very, very light in that department. And... Knowing what what European football offers from other clubs, West Ham, for example, they struggled. They took the risk of going very very hard in Europe, but they got punished in the Premier League and they didn't have that depth. They, I think, they were quite fortunate enough to actually have that run and get the injuries at the right time almost last season, and it worked well for them. Fair play to them. They got they won fair and square. Will that happen again? I doubt it. And I think now they're up in the Europa League. Tougher, comp- tougher competition, tougher players, and they again they haven't really recruited as well as they probably could have as well. They had a lot of frustration, but they managed to get some of the targets they wanted. It just feels like that that's going to be the area that if anything does happen. And Tarek Lamptey, sadly, he does have a history with injuries. He just never seems to be recovered fully from that hamstring injury, and. If it didn't happen, we'll be talking about a completely different player. Feel I think we—I don't think he would be at the Albion for sure because he's just that good a player. Just—it just feels like we, we are just flying a bit too close to the sun. But we'll see what happens. Hopefully, Deserby has a good plan B, C, and D. Um, we, you, know, you know, he going. probably does, and it probably includes putting Jao Pedro there or something ridiculous that we haven't seen coming, <laughs> and then he scores for the hat trick from the game. You know. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, you're completely right. But no, I do think that's an interesting point on Tarek Lamptey as well. It's a lot of pressure to put on someone coming back from injury who obviously had a lot of prospects as well when he, when he first came through. So, you're right. If there is a if there is a problem at the back and, and someone does get injured, you'd hope that Deserby does have, like you said, a, a, quite a few couple of plans up his sleeve. Yeah, and obviously the go, going ahead, obviously international break, 20 Brighton players are... Uh, reporting to duty for their respective countries, which I do believe that is the most in a transfer window that's ever happened for Brighton and Hove Albion, which is just absolutely mental to see how we've gone from just only a handful at best to now people who have, well, previous players have won the World Cup, arguably 
made the significant contribution for it. We've had players who have played in the World Cup and joined us in the past, but 20 players on an international break is just so significant, isn't it? That these players are not just good, but they're some of the best that they're in their respective nations as well. Yeah, it's brilliant as well. I mean, it's not just um, 20 youth internationals either, is it? It's nine of them are, are senior internationals and you have players right at the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, Pascal Gross is, you know, getting his first ever call up to, to Germany in his 30s and, and, and you know, Lewis Dunk, I know he's had the cap before, but also going into that squad. But like you said, we've got then Simon Adingras with Ivory Coast and uh, who else? Buonanotte, obviously, with Argentina, wasn't involved last night against Ecuador, who have got Purvis Estupinan. But, you know, it's nice to see that. And then, obviously, you've got all the youth internationals as well. And Yao Pedro, I think, is with the Brazil under-23s or under-21s. Uh, but then right way through the academy, you've got call-ups for, you know, the England squads, Wales. You know, it's, it's, it's not just, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant to see, isn't it? Now, I, I, I'm going to just throw this out there because we're on the subject of international break. Can we agree on how stupid the coverage has been about Evan Ferguson potentially playing for England? The guy yeah, has made yeah. it very clear that he is not going to be even thinking about putting the three lines on his chest. He's very much an Irish lad, born and bred. And he said, I think a couple of years ago or last year, how, yeah, and I, I qualified through my mum, but if I, if I ever even think about that, I won't be allowed back home with my dad. Yeah. He'll, he'll he'll kick me out, the, the, and the guy is so unbelievably Irish as well. And those of people be talking about, yeah, but what about Jack Grealish and Declan Rice? I think we need to forget that the fact that those two qualified through grandparents, so they were clutching at straws at that part, and then once they got good enough, and then they jumped on the bandwagon to go and play for England because it's their country. It kind of shows how silly these rules are for internationals. Well, but they're. They changed in the end, didn't they? I think it was a couple of years ago now. So you can't actually have a situation like, I think it's Declan Rice who had played a couple of senior games. I think you have to play three list A game, list A games, isn't it? Um, and Ferguson has already done that. So, so that was impossible in the first step. But yeah, even if he wanted yeah. to, I, I was waiting for the um, the video or something to, to come out of, of him saying all this because there was one in pre-season as well when they're out in America. They did a kind of behind-the-scenes content thing, and and the presenter said to him, "Would you ever play for England?" And again, he was like, "No." And I was just waiting for one of those videos to come up on on Twitter or something, but it never did. I just kept seeing, "Oh, oh, he could play for England." I was like, "What are you what are you talking about?" Yeah, but you know, a little bit of research, and people would would soon realise. But yeah, he's he's definitely staying with Ireland. They're keeping firm hold of him. Don't don't let facts get in the way of a good story, though, Mark. I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just mad. But look, I think. I think the guy's got, well, easily 12 years in him for Ireland and he's got three or four fantastic opportunities to get them into the World Cup. And he's definitely the the player to spearhead that. He's such an unbelievable talent. We're talking about someone who is flirting with the phrase world class at this point. And I, I do hate it when some people like condescend and go, yeah, but he's not going to get the main stage, is he? Look at what happened with Gareth Bale. Gareth Bale was the one that carried Real Madrid in the World Cup in the, in the Champions League final. And yeah, some might argue he carried Wales, but so what? Yeah, they, I think Ireland would be more than happy with getting to the semi-finals of a major competition and, and beating teams like Belgium, which is exactly what Wales did in 2016. So I wouldn't sniff at that if you're categorised as a one-man team, but you get to take your country to a major tournament. You know, who cares? <laughs> who cares? And I... 
and I think it's more significant for him to, ca- to take over the, you know, the country that he's been born and raised in. Truly, this guy sees himself as Irish. Can we stop thinking about the fact that he might all of a sudden tomorrow think, oh, yeah, I'm English. He's not. <laughs> he's staying. Please just let's just enjoy it because I wouldn't be surprised if Ireland qualified for the World Cup in, in 2026 because of Evan Ferguson, because he's just he's such an unbelievable talent. He's got this thing about him, about reading the game like a seasoned pro, really, when you look at it. He knows exactly the positions he needs to be in. He drops back so well. He caught, he was a, such a headache for that defence. Granted, they didn't have Newcastle didn't have Sven Botman, but you know Dan Byrne knows more than anyone on that pitch what Evan Ferguson has to offer. Then you've got you know the season season professionals like Kieran Trippier, right back. Like he knows what how how to deal with these kind of players. He's done it with Atletico Madrid, with Spurs. So the fact that it hasn't happened that then just shows how good he he really, really is for me personally. Yeah, I, th- I think the key for him is he's he's obviously enjoy, enjoying at the moment his kind of glow-up phase, isn't he? He's he's already broken onto the scene. It hasn't quite been a year yet since he has. I feel like at the moment, everything is, is going exactly the way he wants to, but there will become a point, undoubtedly, whether it comes this season or, or, or next season, I don't know, when he's going to hit a stumbling block, when he's going to face, you know, a, a, a lack of form. Hopefully that's not because of an injury or anything, but, you know, he is going to get to that point, as a lot of players do when they kind of jump in and, and, and burst on the scene um, in a team. So it'll be interesting to see how he deals with that, if indeed he has it. So saying that, I can't really remember that when Erling Haaland had a kind of blip in, in his career, to be honest. But, you know, it'll be interesting just, just to see how a player like Ferguson does adapt to that because he's so self-confident like you said he's so assured and you see that in his game it's a massive part of what he does is having the confidence to jump into things and you know link up play and, and he covers so much grass as well so he's a player that thrives on having that ability and that confidence in his own game so it will be interesting to see if any kind of form dips off at all and, and how he adjusts with that and how Deserby does it as well because you know we've already seen this season he started the first few games on the bench and then he comes in. So, you know, managing his game time is obviously going to be important. Um, so, yeah, it's a story that everyone is is really excited to see, not just Brighton fans, but Premier League fans as well. Yeah, absolutely. Look, guys, we're going to wrap it up there. We've got plenty to talk about uh, next week. We've got United away and then the big one, AK Athens at Brighton and Hove Albion's American Express Stadium, uh, which will be no doubt a historic one and one that we're going to be looking forward to. We'll be talking the heads with uh, people from over at the MEN discussing Manchester United and everything that's going on there because it's safe to say that they're not having a quiet international break at the moment. It is fair to say after comments have been made with Jaden Sancho, with everything that's going on with the Glazers, there's so much to talk about there. Hopefully we could get someone who um, is an AK Athens fan, just to talk about what 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 can we look forward to, who to keep an eye on, and how they feel in the head of their European campaign. But until then, guys, as always, up the Albion, and uh, make sure you to like and subscribe for teams like Brighton. And until then, guys, speak to you guys next week. Enjoy the international break. <laughs>